check. Left mic, right mic. Mic check. One, two, one, two, pop, pop, peak. <laughs> pop, 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 peak. So here we are. This is episode two of our of our little show that we've put together. It's uh, it's it's been uh, it's been an experience. We've gone on amazing adventures together. It's taken us. The show has taken us to unparalleled levels of success that we never thought possible, that we never dreamed possible. All right, here from the comfort of our table, of our, of our kitchen here, of our kitchen table. What do we got lined up for this episode? Well, this episode we have a bunch of two-player games that we've been enjoying. Yeah. I think we've got a pretty good collection of two-player games, but today we're going to be talking about specifically the Fox and the Forest, both the competitive and the cooperative version. Yep. We also have the Duke, which is a two-player abstract strategy game played on a grid like chess. We also have Caesar. That's the newest of these games. Uh, that I picked that up at PAX, and uh, it was it it's a. Uh, it's a it's an interesting game, and I look forward to having you, dear listener, listen to what we thought of it. So without further ado, abstract strategy plus trick taking plus area control sort of, yeah? Yeah. All for two players. All for two players. Here we go. We've just wrapped up our fourth game of Caesar. Seize Rome in 20 Minutes by Paolo Mori and published by PSC Games. This has been a game that's been on our radar for a while, ever since we saw uh, that uh, incredibly charming British board game show. Shut up, it's a downs review. Oh, we're not supposed to mention them. They are our fiercest competition. They don't know we exist yet, (laughs) but they will. They're sort of like the Pompeii to our Caesar. Yeah, who is Pompeii? I is it, are we even sure it's Pompeii? Are we sure it's not Pompey? Anyway, pretty, pretty sure actually. Pretty that sure it's Pompeii. Turns out it actually was Pompey. Yeah, feel pretty confident <laughs> wasn't that, about that wasn't one. He named, is he named after a volcano, or is the volcano named after him, or are they completely unrelated? Okay, whoa, is Pompeii a person? Did you think this was Caesar versus a volcano? Or a city? Yeah, like Joe versus the volcano. <laughs> Am I aging us right now? I'm Cut that. Three, I'm three years older than you, and, and I barely know that movie. <laughs> Let's lay out uh, how the rules go, and then we'll talk about what we like and what we didn't like. The game is a two-player area control game. You have a map that is of Italy and associated... It's the Mediterranean. It's the Mediterranean. You're more cultured than I am. You immediately recognize that. As, meanwhile, I looked at it and I said, I don't recognize it at all. And then I realized it's because Italy is like not facing straight down in the shape of a boot. And I didn't completely did not recognize this region to start. I thought this may as well <laughs> have been, you know, Caesar forming Mars. So you did understand that the blue part is a body of water. Though, I, right? I did understand that. But I, okay. I, what is that? The What is that? The Red Sea? <laughs> The Black Sea? Is it one of those seas? If I could just go through the whole rainbow, will you tell me? When I just said it's the Mediterranean, I meant that it is actually the Mediterranean. I thought that was an ocean. Boy, do I need... This is adorable. Do I need to go back to For both of us. (laughs) So what we have here is, according to Ms. History, Ms. Geography buff over here, Mm -hmm. we have a map of the Mediterranean, and the map is chopped up into a bunch of different regions. And on the border of every region is a spot with a symbol. Maybe it's a sword, a shield, or a boat. 
And those symbols are gonna be where you place your tokens. And your tokens have symbols on them that line up with the symbols on the map. And then they also have numbers on them. And they have numbers on either side with a line between. So I have a, right now I'm holding one that has a ship on it. And there's a one on one side of the token and a five on the other and a line in between. I'm holding one that has a sword on it. Mm. And there's a zero on one side and a six on the other. So essentially there are four tokens of each suit. uh, The swords, the shields, and the boats. There are also four tokens that are wild with a wreath. And essentially you need to place these tokens on the borders between regions. Regions have between two to four. Four borders typically with the exception of Italy which has one two three four five six and depending on how you orient your tokens with a smaller side or the bigger side on one side or the other of the border you are contributing that number to that side of the border and then to determine who has control of that area you very simply add up the numbers on your tokens that are on that side of the border in board game parlance we refer to that number as influence and whoever has the highest influence controls that area But as a bonus, whoever places the final token to close off an area gets the bonus token for that region. At the start of the game, every region is seeded with a random bonus token, and there are six different types of bonus tokens. We won't really go into their specific effects other than some of them give you extra turns, some of them let you cancel out people's influence tokens, uh, some of them increase your hand limit, that kind of thing. Oh, hand limit, we should mention there's a hand limit. Each player has a screen. And uh, behind that screen will be two or three tokens uh, that you can choose from on your turn, depending on which modules in the game you play with. It comes with a base game and then a couple of extra modules. We played the base game once or twice and then just moved on to the full Caesar, uh, the full thing. So uh, whoever closes the region, whoever places that final token, gets to use that bonus token. They have to use it right away uh, or they throw it away. And then you calculate influence in the region and uh, then you, whoever controls that region gets to put one of their two, four, six, eight, 12, 14. Is that, did I count that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Miss Math Lady? No, apparently, 12. I know nothing. Two, four, six, eight, 10, 12. <laughs> Should I go back and cut that out? No, I don't think so. You're going to take turns back and forth, placing influence tokens on the, on the borders between regions and crowding each other out of regions. You get to place bonus control tokens if you end up controlling regions that are adjacent to each other. And the object of the game is to uh, either win or not lose. And you win. How do you win? You win by placing all of your Caesar or Pompey tokens. Yep. And the way you lose is if you can't actually place any influence tokens on your turn. Uh, that we have not had that. Oh, we have had that. We just we had just that ha- had that. We just had that happen. One of the one of the bonus tokens you can use is a poison. And that that reduces your opponent's hand limit by one. And if you poison them enough, they have a hand limit of zero. They can't actually play on their turn. Uh, It should be mentioned that I was in the lead at this point. I was positioned to win in the next turn. And I had been reduced to but one token. But fortunately, I had set up for myself a situation where I all I needed to do was close off one territory. And I'd set up a situation where even though I only had one token in my hand because of all the poison you'd already unleashed upon me. Oh, was that me? Mm, I had regions available to close with all of the available symbols. So I knew I was sitting pretty. But then Paul goes and closes the territory with one final poison and does me in, reducing my hand limit to zero. So I think 
I think we've kind of uh, spoiled the plot here. Uh, let's go into how we feel about the game. Laura, what do you think about the game? Oh, the fact that I just lost in spectacular style means that I liked it. Yeah. And I won this game more than you did You'd- over the several times we played it. And truthfully, it does play in 20 minutes, I think, which it, is so great. It really great. does. It plays in 20 minutes. It does exactly what it says on the tin, as those Brits who are our main competition like to say. <laughs> They'll know our names one day. <laughs> so it indeed does play in 20 minutes, which means that we've had the pleasure of playing this uh, at least half a dozen times over the past few nights. And while I have won more than I have lost, the times when Paul has beat me, it has been particularly brutal. Yeah. One time it was a complete shutout. I could not get a single one of my tokens on the board. And then this last time I was poisoned to death. Skullduggery. I, yes. Any game you can win with Skullduggery is fine with me. I also really enjoy it. It's a it's a tense, tight, 20-minute struggle. This particular game, I feel like I was able to use a little bit of uh, token counting by looking at the board and seeing, okay, so she's placed three of her four swords. She's used this many of her of her boats. She has used this many of her wreaths. So the token, one token she probably has behind her screen is a shield. And I put down a, a, a shield right where I figured she'd want to go. And the look on her face... Uh, a brief aside, in the history of Go, there is a move. I'd have to look it up. I don't remember which one it is, but there was a move historically known as the red-faced move because I think the emperor of some country, either China or Japan, was playing it and had that move done against him, and he got very upset. I probably just brutalized that myth. You absolutely brutalized that myth. It was called the ear-reddening game. It was between two professional Go players in Japan. I think we just came up with our own red-faced move right here. I It was so satisfying. Great. It was fantastic. Uh, I think that that paid for itself. We bought this game at PAX. Uh, it was, I was there at the stand. They busted it open. It was like a feeding frenzy. And I, it, was, it was like being on the floor of the stock market. I Literally, I had my $30 in my hand waving it at him, telling him I'll take one of those. Because I knew it was coming. And, and this is exactly what I was hoping it would be. As advertised. As advertised. Very fun, simple, yeah, straightforward, fast, can, all the good things. Can we nitpick? I mean, is there anything? I honestly can't think of a problem with the game. It's kind of a perfect little game. I mean, does it does it do our dishes for us? I didn't. I mean, I certainly didn't come downstairs this morning, and we still had dirty dishes in the kitchen, and a fully open copy of Paolo Mori's Caesar on our doing game absolutely table. no work at all. No work at all. So, I mean, I guess we could we could nitpick that, but hey, thirty bucks. I think you you'd be hard pressed to find a better game of this type, uh, except for one, and this actually might cause me to break a long-standing rule of mine. I have rules when it comes to the games I'm willing to put in my collection. What's the rule? Mainly when it comes to theme. Uh, no mm-hmm. zombie games. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a couple. I didn't buy them. Uh, no very minimal pirate games. I don't care about pirates. We have one game which uh, is. We will be reviewing later. Uh, but the the main thing is World War II. Don't care about World War II. Oh. And I'm not really interested in, in, in playing the Axis side. And I'm not really interested in having making someone else play the Axis side. One game that may cause me to change that is uh, Palomori's other game in this vein, uh, Blitzkrieg. Blitzkrieg. I've, I've heard that game's really good too. I chose Caesar over Blitzkrieg, again, for theme reasons. I'll, I'll, I'll investigate Blitzkrieg, and maybe that game is also pretty cool. 
if if the gameplay looks really compelling, it might cause me to to break some of my some, one of those rules. You might maybe just move the needle on that radar. Do radars have needles? Oh my God! Stop talking about things you don't know anything about. Wait, actually, I don't know if radars have needles. I'll let you have this one. If only there were a game to teach us about radar. If only team the game to teach us about Palomori. Can you make a game called Radar? <laughs> <laughs> Find find things in the ocean in 20 minutes. I think we've gone off the rails. I think it's par for the course. <laughs> Laura, we're trapped in the forest, and it's closing in on us. We, we got to break free. We got to follow this path. It'll take us out of here. Here, take this pillow, and we can exchange some cards. This magic pillow, this magic pillow is going to help us get out of the forest. So let's follow these paths. Oh, but first, first we must pick up these gems. Delicious gems. Are we eating the Delic- gems? They go great. Well, they go great with steak. I was not aware any of that was happening in the Gems. Game. There's a steak. There's the gems. Don't you just see? We gotta go. Oh, we gotta go. So the Fox gems. and the Forest Duet. I'm just gonna stop you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fox and the Forest Duet. It's yeah. a great little game. It's, it's. In a small box. Yep. Fits on a, you know, smaller size shelf. <laughs> it could fit on a bigger shelf, too. It's quick to play. It's quick to play. And it's quick to lose. It is quick to lose. It is tough. It is tough to win. It's a difficult But game. it's very satisfying, I think. Yeah. I, I really like... It's a cooperative game. And what I really like about it is that you have this very small... You know, you could take this to a bar and pull it out. Yeah. Kind of compact nature. Yep. Uh, it's a simple trick-taking game where you work together with your partner to try to move this token down a forest path back and forth, uh, picking up gems as you, you Delicious may gems. have gleaned from Paul's they did, they introduction. They great A1 sauce. Okay, we're back to the bar now, I guess? Yeah. Right. So anyway, the difficulty comes in that obviously you don't know what your opponent has, but also that you can only miss picking up the gems with a finite number of tricks. So you said opponent. I think you meant partner, unless you've been playing this game in a very different way than I have. It's (laughs) possible. That's why we're losing. That's why we're losing so much. (laughs) Secret opponent. Hidden trader mechanic that only you know about. So let's, let's rewind a second. Uh, if you don't know what a trick-taking game is, a trick-taking dame, game, trick-taking dame, a trick-taking dame mm. is something very, very different. A trick-taking game, in a general sense, is where one player leads and they'll put down a card from their hand, and maybe it'll be it'll well, it'll definitely be one of however many suits are in the game, and then typically everyone else is required to play a card of that suit, and if they can't. Most of the time, there is a second suit that is called the Trump suit, which will which will defeat the suit that was led with. These are I'm speaking in generalities because there's such a wide variety of trick-taking games, and there's so many different ways that they can be played. This particular one, there are three suits, and when the cards are dealt out, one card is flipped over, and that is the Trump suit for the game. Now, that, that particular card can be swapped in and out, uh, because of the cards in this, I would say almost half of them. Uh, in fact, all the odds. In fact, so exactly all the odds, half of them. So exactly half of them have some kind of special ability. One of those cards in each suit allows you to change that that 
that flipped over card. It's called the decree. And one of the cards in each suit allows you to swap that decree card with a card from your hand to adjust which suit is the trump at certain at certain key points. And one of the cards lets you give your opponent a pillow, which allows you both to <laughs> change mystical, a card. The mystical exchange forest Exchange a card pillow. from your hands. So what Paul is getting at here is that there are special abilities on the cards that can affect what you uh, do with that uh, hand. If it's something like how you move the token tracker or how you maybe change the trump or maybe allowing you to swap a card with your partner. With your partner, uh, not your opponent. Right. So that you can have a more well-balanced hand perhaps. But the the way that the movement works is with these little paw prints. And most but not all of the cards have some number of paw prints on it, one, two, or three, and they indicate a number of steps you're taking through the forest. Yep. And whomever wins the trick moves the tracker, that number of total paw prints towards his or her side of the board. Yep. Here's an example. Let's say I lead with the the two of leaves, and then you happen to have some leave cards in your hand. And you uh, play the Ten of Leaves. Well, the Two of Leaves has three paw prints on it, and the Ten of Leaves also has three paw prints on it. So we're hauling butt in my direction. In your direction. six steps. That's a lot. Yep. So this track that we're working on is we start in the center, and you you can go X number of spaces in one direction and X number of spaces in the other. So if we're all the way over at my end of the track, we would haul fox butt, in, in Laura's direction down the track. Now, here's the problem. If you run off the end of the track, uh, you have to put one of these forest tokens on the end of the track. You put your marker back in the center, and that's kind of like a life, uh, mm-hmm. like an extra life. So you get a total of four lives, and if you end up losing all four of those lives and would otherwise lose a fifth life, you're done. The game is over. Also, if you can't collect all the gems after three rounds... The game is over. We never collect all the gems. We never collect all the gems. I should say, I have played this and won it with my best friend a couple of times. So I think they're... Well, now that's interesting and (laughs) something we should maybe explore uh, offline. It's all right. I grew up playing trick-taking games. I think that's one of the the reasons why this one kind of locks in for me a little bit differently than it does for you. But I still like it. I think it's fun to play. And really, the, the way that the game goes with this kind of... I try to win a hand, you try to win a hand. This back and forth give and take I find really appealing yeah. because the best way, generally speaking, to get all of the gems or get as many as possible of the gems and also not run off the edge of the board is to constantly be pushing and pulling a little bit, some steps that way, some steps this way, some steps that way, some steps this way. And I just, I like the balance of the game. And I like the special cards as well. It makes it feel just barely achievable. This most recent game, we won with just one. Uh, with one gem remaining, where we lost. We, we lost. We lost. Did I say we won? You did. No, I'm dreaming. And we're in dream world. <laughs> I lost, we lost with, with one gem left on the board. Very, very disappointing. But next time we'll do it. And if that's not enough, the little tracker board they give you has two sides. 
they, uh, you know, ostensibly A and B. We've got the A side, but when you flip it over, it's just a middle finger. I think that must be a misprint <laughs> or something. There oh, are more weird. steps and more yeah. gems get added to the board. Yeah, it's ridiculously difficult. We're never going to do that side. Never going to do that side. <laughs> um, now, while we're here talking about Fox in the Forest, let's talk really quickly about the competitive version of Fox in the Forest. Mm. It's a double feature here. There is a different Fox in the Forest. comes in an orange box, and there's just a single fox in the titular forest. Uh, this fox, I don't know what he's doing. He's running around. I, I, he's not really collecting gems, uh, he, but he's definitely running around, getting into mischief. I, that I, fox is just changing the trump card. Uh, the, this that's all that that fox is doing. That's fox. This fox is just changing the trump card. Is this some kind of duel to the death between a woodcutter and a, and a princess? I, I can't really tell. And I there's too many words in the storyline in this in this case. Uh, but it's it's a competitive version of a fox in the forest. The same. The idea is the same. You lead with a suit. The other player has to follow, or if they can't, they have to they have to play a trump card. And the special powers are different to enable you to kind of mess with each other a little bit. Uh, but the thing I like about that about this competitive version of the game is that the game is a, a race to twenty one points, and you you get points based on how many tricks you've won in that round. But not strictly. If you win. Four, five, or six tricks. There are 13 total 13 hands. 13 total tricks. Mm-hmm. So if you win four, five, or six, you get some points. If you win between seven and nine, so at least half of the tricks, you get a nice big six points. But if you hit 10 to 13, it actually says, I think, that you're greedy, greedy yeah. in the in the rule book, and then you get zero points. You get zero points, and because of the way the math works out, if you win 10, that means your opponent won three and, and on the other side of that score chart, it says zero to three tricks. One, you are humble. So when you get your hand of 13 cards, you can look at it. And, and one component of a lot of trick-taking games is betting how many tricks you're going to win. And this, you can look at your hand and you can have a good idea of the strategy you're going for. Am I going to go for trying to win yeah. more than half but not too many? Yep. Or is this just a terrible hand and I should keep it to fewer than three? Yep. Because as you pointed out, you can get... Point it out to me, not to you yet, dear listener. I will share Paul's wisdom with you. Yeah. One player will win six points in the hand. Yeah. Either by hitting that sweet spot of seven to nine. Usually that's yeah. how, it, how it goes. Or by hitting the zero to three. Yeah. I got you on that one time. You did. You were so happy. You were like, I'm, so winning, I'm winning. I'm winning. I'm winning. I'm, I'm winning. Like, I'm, I'm winning too much. Like, yeah. Oh, no. I was like, I'm winning seven <laughs> tricks. Oh, great. Eight tricks. Okay. Nine. Oh, Nine tricks. And oh. then he's looking at his hand thinking, can I possibly lose the next can three I hands? Lose, I don't think can so. Can I lose the next three tricks? And no, it turns out I can't. And I got zero and you got six and that put you over the edge. And that won you the game. Both of these Fox in the Forest games are fantastic. One's cooperative, one's competitive. I really like trick-taking games. I'm terrible at them. Um, there's a, a, a team-based trick-taking game that you play with dominoes called 42. We'll have to cover that. Uh, weird games played with with regular standard components that you may oh, not teach have heard you of. also teach teach a it's a trick-taking game of a sort it's it's a climbing game but it's it's more of a trick take oh, it, it doesn't really have to do set with collection set somewhere. collection uh, and climbing yeah haggis is a great two to two player two to three play you could play three player haggis these are all games that we'll cover some point down the road we're not i'm not just trying to lob names names of games at you dear listener but i just more to demonstrate this is a this is an exciting genre i really enjoy it 
um, and and hopefully our enthusiasm is is rubbing off on you. You know, one more thing I would add actually about this Fox in the Forest uh, yeah. competitive version sure. is, and I think it's something that I just, I'm, I'm brilliant. I just put this together. Okay. But something that both this and the duet version have in common that I really find appealing. Yeah. In the duet, you're wanting to win some and lose some and win some and lose some yeah. so that you can step back and forth without running off the edge of the playing field to collect the gems and you do want to do sort of the same thing in the competitive version where it's you want to win some and lose some and win some and lose some because most often when we play this game you get to something like five or six tricks each and you really just want to make sure that you're holding on to the cards towards the end that can enable you to get into that seven to nine sweet spot so mostly you don't want to be in a point in a position where you're so far ahead of your opponent that they could try to lose everything. So you want to kind of get them into that sweet spot with you, but hopefully have a few tricks up your sleeve. See what I did there? A few tricks up your sleeve. I I get it because foxes. Foxes wear these really cool coats and they they just look so dapper and they but you never know because they could have a little little I'm giving him eyes. I'm giving him eyes. Thank you for laughing. They laughed. They laughed. So please write in and tell us if you laughed. Please put the (laughs) timestamp at which you have laughed. All right, I'm done. Okay, very good. Fox in the Forest. Both games I, we heart, heartily recommend for the cooperative and competitive flavor of Steak Sauce. The Duke. The Duke. The Duke. The Duke. Uh, the Duke. The Duke is a two-player abstract strategy game. It's like chess in a bag. It's, it's like chess... If every piece in the game had its instructions printed on it and you didn't have to remember which pieces went this way or that. And you didn't know what piece you were going to get next. You didn't know what piece. You, you start with a duke and you start with two footmen and then the rest of your pieces come out from the bag. So what I love about the duke is that you have this element of surprise. You can get yourself in a jam and or not know what to do with the with the pieces you have on the board and just reach into this magical bag here and hopefully draw something besides a pikeman. Um, they're the worst. <laughs> they really are only useful if you're moving up the board. There's three of them, but it feels like all of your pieces are pikemen. <laughs> Let's take a step back for a second and, and describe this game for anyone who might not be familiar with it. You have one, two, three, four, five, six. You have a six by six grid. And on this grid at the start of the game is the is the titular duke. The duke has the ability, if you are familiar with chess, has the ability at the beginning to slide left and right as many squares as they want until they hit something. Mm -hmm. If it's an opponent's piece, they'll capture it, and if it's one of their own pieces, they butt up against it. But what happens when you use it, Paul? When you use it, you flip the piece over, and now the duke can only slide forward or backward, up or down the board, and every other piece in the game is just like that. They have instructions on one side, and as soon as you do anything with that piece, you flip it over, and there's different instructions on the other. Maybe there's slight variations. Sometimes it's something completely different. There are instructions that include just moving one or two spaces, jumping over other pieces, maybe standing where you're at. And and sniping something. Sniping something. Uh, pieces that can slide forward and backward, like a like a like I said, a rook in chess, or even do a slide with a jump. All kind, all manner of of things they can do, and that's just with the basic tiles in the game. There's things like mind control. There's things like uh, command. There's things uh, like, oh, you can't capture me from that direction. I'm guarded from you in that direction. All kinds of different powers. All kinds of ways to make the game different. 
So to refresh our memory, recently we have played this game probably four or five times again in the past few nights. Yeah. And while the box says that the game should take, what, 25 minutes or something? Yeah. It's never that fast for us. Uh, I think that one of the things this has uh, definitely an appeal for is folks who like chess but want something that has a little bit of an element of unpredictability. Yeah. Uh, that comes in both the form, obviously, of what you're drawing from the bag, but also as you move through to try to pin the Duke, which is uh, uh, the goal is to pin the Duke, just like pinning the king in chess. As you attempt to do this, as we mentioned, when you're flipping your tiles over, when you use them, you have a completely different set of moves or abilities on the opposite side that you have to contend with for the next move. So it does involve a little more dynamic uh, thought than chess does. And certainly I don't think you could ever accomplish the same level of mastery of the Duke that you could of chess in this sense of memorizing all the playthroughs and things, or maybe you could, but Uh, I'm not willing to make that claim because there's a lot of smarties out there who can memorize all this stuff. I certainly can't. I've printed up some player aids uh, because otherwise what happens is you sit here and you just pick up this tile and flip it over, pick up that tile and flip it over. And that's not a negative. That's not a strike. I was going to say, because that is exactly what I do. So that's not, I don't think that's a strike against the game. I think it's, I've, I've not played a game like it. And uh, I think it's it's every time we play it, super engaging and and ex- it's exciting for an abstract two player abstract strategy game. I think it's exciting. You have this situation on the board that you hate and you think I've got nothing to do unless and you you draw from that bag, you pull it out and it's a pikeman. And then you <laughs> curse the game because this game sucks. All I ever get are pikemen. But sometimes you'll get a ranger or a champion or a dragoon or something Or an like assassin that. or something that has a really incredible range of movement. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of tiles that come in the game that we have not messed with at all. Um, now, I will say, dear listener, that what we are talking about right now is the base game, The Duke. It's a purple box with some flags on it. And you wouldn't know by looking at it that it's, that it's this interesting two-player strategy game. The problem with The Duke is that I don't think the the base game is available for purchase anymore. What they've done is they've taken the original game, The Duke, and they've taken out uh, some of the more complex tiles, put in some more simple ones, and they call it The Duke, Lord's Legacy, with generic handsome knight on the front of it. <laughs> uh, that version uh, I used to have. I loaned it to a friend. They liked it so much, I said, keep it. I can always just get myself another copy. It, it's someone who who is not game inclined. I loaned it to, and and this person absolutely loved it and plays it with anyone they can, any chance they get. And I gave this to my good friend who is game inclined, uh, but he and his wife enjoy playing it. And uh, it's I think a game that really suits a lot of people, especially yeah. if you are familiar with chess, checkers, even for that matter. It's gonna feel a little bit familiar, but more exciting. So this game fits into a trio of games, uh, The Duke, Onitama, and Cairn. All three of them involve an abstract strategy-style grid where you move pieces around and capture each other or that kind of thing with moves that are not necessarily the same from game to game or move to move. Um, Anyone who's familiar with Onitama and Cairn will appreciate this. If not, they're definitely also worth looking up if you've heard of them. I will tell you now... uh, Onitama is plays a bit like the Duke, but the moves that you can use during the game are established at the very beginning, and those are the only moves you're going to play for the game. And so I feel like it's a little bit more 
chess-like in that you can look at the board and you can say, these are the moves, this is how it's going to play out, and and to me, that's not as exciting. The only unknown in that case is what your opponent's going to do, yeah. not so much what could be introduced to the game. Absolutely. And then Cairn, it plays a bit like here, like the Duke, except Cairn has these uh, power-up spots that you can put down on the board that your pieces can step on, and you don't know what those power-up spots are going to be until you actually draw them and put them on the board. There are things that can trigger those. So why would you say we kept this one over those other two, which we no longer have? Yeah, Onitama, uh, again, that problem of looking at the board and feeling like if I were just better at at predicting 30 moves ahead, I would be better at this game. Uh, I like the excitement of the Duke compared to that. I like the feeling of reaching into the bag and drawing out something other than a pikeman. And what about Karen? Karen felt... Almost to the almost to the other degree, which is too much chaos. There's all these little power up spots that you can step on. That that there's this huge stack that 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 could come out, and and they just end up moving your pieces around too much, creating a bunch of chaos on the board. I think the Duke really strikes that balance. I think it's an excellent two player abstract strategy game. How do you what do you think? I think my only complaint about it is if I can if I can say a negative here because I really do we we love this game is that some of the games end with just running out of tiles in the bag because it is I think so difficult to pin the duke that he, one of the one of the ways that we have gotten through a game and I think Paul wins this game more than I do but when I win, it is usually because I have essentially run out the clock. I have just run around and taken all of his tiles, and he has nothing yeah. left to draw on the back. Yeah, and it's it really not, does. It, not it, because I pinned you. Yeah. It's because I have worn you down. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> like right now, we're looking at it, and I've captured one, two, three, four, five, six of, of yours, and you've captured, I can't even count that high of mine. No, it's not that bad this time. But yeah. the last game, it was. Yeah, it and then, you know, then we have times where. More often than not, Paul successfully pins me, but my my strategy is just take all of the pieces until he can't do anything else. <laughs> Couple other things I want to mention before we wrap this up. Uh, this company, Catalyst Game Labs, they have also put out a Viking-themed version of this game called Yarl. We owned Yarl briefly. Uh, Yarl is also okay. It's interesting. Uh, it had the cool the cool bake light stone mm-hmm. tiles. The issue with Yarl is that the powers were just wackadoo compared yeah. to yeah. the So these actually kind of make sense. You look at a pikeman, and the pikeman has this range of attack in front of it at diagonals, and then... Like as though there were a sword coming out at an angle. I think really, and then my, you switch it, and it's like it's like the pikeman has planted his or her feet there and is ready to swing the sword. That's how I interpret it. And to me, there's a little story that you could possibly tell with most of these characters. But Jarl was just my pikeman here. Just as a poop emoji. <laughs> The, the main thing about Jarl was that the the titular, God, I like using that word, the titular Jarl mm. uh, is able to jump around rather than being restricted by sliding. So it became much more difficult to pin the Jarl in place. I remember the couple of games we played, that like 90-minute games, just Jarls just hopping all over the place like frogs, just boink, 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 boink. Catalyst Game Labs also have a version of this game coming out. It was on Kickstarter earlier this year in 2021 called Centurion, which is also going to have some weird pottery-themed tiles. The problem with Centurion is that it doesn't exist yet, and Catalyst Game Labs has kind of a reputation for taking people's money and then just disappearing for months at a time. 
And if you go look at their Kickstarter, that seems to be what they're doing now. Uh, you can look at comments and and see that their October 2021 date just came and went and with with no communication whatsoever. So if the theme of Centurion appeals to you or the look of the tiles appeals to you, uh, you know, you could wait until that game comes out and give them your money then. But if this any of what we're describing to you sounds interesting right now, you could do far worse than picking up a copy at your local game store and and playing it with your favorite two-player abstract partner. Maybe play it with your dad who likes chess or play it with your child who's not very good at it so you can just beat them over and over and over again and teach them some harsh lessons. I know I'm looking forward to doing that with my kid. It's going to be great. And that's a wrap for episode two of our adventure, our podcast adventure. We covered some pretty good games. We covered the Duke, which we liked. Both the foxes in the forest. I guess there's three foxes in the forest. There's the duet, and then there's that third wheel fox that kind of just hangs out and and really makes the other two just uncomfortable. We liked those games, and then we liked Caesar. Caesar being new. No, you didn't say it right. It has Caesar! A, there oh, there is go. an exclamation point yeah. at the end of the name. That's Caesar! why you must say I it can't believe way. we also, we missed an opportunity for some kind of great Caesar's ghost in there somewhere. One of us should have said that during that review. Missed opportunities. You know, I could go back and insert it in, but... Uh, you could go back and edit out all the times when we seem stupid. <laughs> we'd, we'd have no podcast left. <laughs> we'd have nothing. <laughs> We'd just have us just going, Caesar, and that would be it. So in conclusion, a bunch of two-player games that we enjoy, The Fox in the Forest and The Duke, have all been in our collection for some time. We've added Caesar. It is welcome to the fold. Yeah, I think it's going to stick around for a while. Uh, And I think that's about it. So that's it. That's a wrap on episode two. Uh, We've got a whole lot more stuff going on, and so keep keep an ear out. Hold whatever device you're listening to up to your ear, until you can hear the the whisper on the wind saying that episode three is available. Okay, but we listen to podcasts in the car, so are you suggesting our listener should hold up the car stereo to his or her ear? No, that's silly. That is silly. I'm suggesting they hold the entire car up to their ear. That's what I'm suggesting. And I will take no more comments on that. So as always, uh, thank you, dear listener, and um, thank you for honoring us with, with your, your ears. And when you control a region, you plop one of your control tokens right there. There are things you can do that enable you to plop more control tokens down. I should probably stop saying plop. Uh, (laughs) Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. No, don't. See, now you've aged yourself. I don't think they market themselves. I think we actually do have to cut that probably, right? Okay, we're going to, you know what? We're just going to cut the whole thing. (laughs) We're going to start right now. And people joining are going to have no idea what we're talking about.